My colleagues and I, we dispatch those we call supervisors to help ensure the proper flow of time. See, the universe is essentially a grand tapestry. It is flawless. It is fragile. It is exquisite. Yet it is somehow always a thread's pull away from total annihilation. A star is born, but a ship is lost. A new species thrives, but a civilization collapses. Knowing when to step in, that's the tricky part. And so my colleagues and I, we watch, we protect everything. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Notch Garnick, and with me, giving each other hugs, are Adam Bowen and Emily Bowen Marlar. Welcome to Strange New Takes. Today, we are covering the season two finale of Star Trek Picard. Farewell. Follow us on social. Hmm. Follow us on social media. Uh, that's at Strange New Takes on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, tell your friends about the podcast and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps with all the search indexes. And this is just your weekly warning that this podcast has a ton of spoilers. So if you haven't watched this episode, uh, you should watch that. Also expect us to spoil other things in Star Trek that you may or may not have watched, in including Strange New Worlds. So just... just don't expect us to hold back, people. Don't expect us to hold back. Well, as Emily mentioned before, today we're talking about the 10th episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Picard. It's the season finale, Farewell. It first aired on 5th March, 2022. It was written by Christopher Monfett and Akiva Goldsman. It was directed by Michael Weaver. And the in-universe date, well, one of them at least, is 2024. The far future, 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 future. Far future, future, future. Anyway, here's the episode... Summary from Memory Alpha, it's short and sweet. With just hours until the Europa launch, Picard and the crew find themselves in a race against time to save the future. Okay, well, we always start our episodes with our strange new takes. And this time, I'm going to go first. Uh, I happened to watch American Pie 2 for the first time in maybe like 10 or 15 years yesterday. <laughs> uh, it's definitely a bro movie from the... You know, late 90s slash early 2000s, so I don't want to, like, give it too much credit or whatever. Uh, but I'll say this. Alison Hannigan's performance in that movie is actually really incredible. She comes across as a genuinely socially awkward, like, strange band geek. And, you know, if you've watched her in How I Met Your Mother or in um, Xena or... Is she in Xena? No, uh, she was in... Wasn't she in... Um, she's in Buffy the Vampire Buffy, Buffy yeah. that's right I knew she yeah. was in one of those 90s TV shows um, if you watch her in Buffy that's that's not how she is it, it's 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 just incredible seeing her performance and how believable it was in that movie so I just wanted to give her kudos as an actor because I think this week I had a lot of feelings in Star Trek about great actors and I wanted to, to throw that out there uh, my strange new take with the episode I'm going to do something non-Star Trek related for both of, or, or non, you know, episode related for both of my Star Trek Strange New Takes today, because of course we're recording a second episode right after this Strange New World. 
Um, I just want to say, and I, I might have actually done this as a strange you take before, that the Enterprise theme song is actually one of my top five Star Trek theme songs now. Like, when I go, like, movie overtures, the TV show themes, and now we have a lot of them, I would put Where My Heart Will Take Me as, like, maybe three or four at from the top. And I l- absolutely love it now. So, um, yeah, take that for what you will. Uh, in- interesting. <laughs> so, uh, for my strange new take, uh, I think for the... So, I, I recently became a manager, and uh, the the latest, like, management technique or whatever that I have learned is just uh, writing out documents to help me think through what it is that I'm supposed to do. Uh, I, I feel like just uh, taking time and writing things down and just going through my options uh, really helps with my thinking. So uh, may, maybe one of the more boring strange new takes, but uh, there you go. Writing is good. Um, for the episode, um, I don't know. I, I I felt a little bit weird uh, uh, seeing this as the, as the finale because it, it feels to me that I like I can't tell if ten episodes is too long or not enough episodes for Picard because it I feel like there were maybe one or two filler episodes in the middle, uh, like when we dive into his his mind for an entire episode uh, and things like that. But there several moments of this episode felt like we were just kind of writing characters off and uh, sort of like wrapping things up nicely, and that makes me feel like there weren't enough episodes. So I, I, I'm just, I'm a little bit confused (laughs) as far as that goes. (laughs) Okay. Let's see. Well, my strange new take for life, I had one and then, Oh, I know when you were talking about writing things down for a manager, I don't know if anyone else is experiencing this, but I think that the pandemic has given me brain damage um, because my brain just does not work the way it used to work. And maybe it's because I'm getting old, but I think it's because of the pandemic. I think human beings weren't meant to like have to endure that kind of <laughs> global stress for <laughs> for two years, you know, although I guess there have been world wars that have lasted longer than that. And that would be a bigger global stress. But, you know, we have that coming, too. So um, anyway, but uh, yeah, so my brain just doesn't work. And I started thinking I maybe writing things or I, someone was talking about bullet journals. I'm like, maybe I need to do something like that Mm. to help my brain because the number of things that I forget are alarming so (laughs) it's just like oh my gosh um and my strange new take for the episode I was really surprised at how quickly everything got wrapped up in this episode um I don't know like I remembered watching last week's thinking, well, gosh, they're going to have to have it be an hour and a half to tie up all this stuff. And it was mm-hmm. all done in 15 minutes, I feel like. Maybe yeah. not quite 15, <laughs> but it was really fast. Um, yeah. So th- that was a little like I kind of had whiplash, I think, watching watching them tie up the overarching story, you know. Yeah. But um, I- yeah, anyway, so it's interesting. I mean, I, I feel like it's helpful uh, uh, if you if you need a deus ex machina to, like, help you wrap up your storyline. It helps that you've already established a god as, like, one of the people in this season. So, uh, yeah, it seems reasonable. So we, we do need to, like, run through this episode because we have an hour for this episode and an hour for Strange New Takes. So this, I'm going to keep us moving at a pretty rapid clip through the episode. So, essentially... The, the the episode starts with Picard explaining that 
the bullet holes that were caused by the Borg special forces have been known in his family as World War II damage to the chateau. Uh, but uh, so we, we start with a temporal paradox in this episode <laughs> and we very quickly move into kind of let's solve the Europa mission issue. And part of that is Talon and Picard heading over to a missile site uh, or a launch site, I should say, which is pretty clear reference to the um, uh, Gary 7 episode. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, it's just incredible to see kind of that. I, I feel like this entire season of Picard has been very clever with the previous references. But um, I thought this episode was also full of these kind of little poignant moments where um, characters get to learn a lesson and it's usually Picard doing the learning. And this was the first one where Talon tells, has to tell Picard like, hey, you're not the captain in the next generation of the Enterprise anymore. You don't get to choose how people live their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, th- I thought that was... Um, it, it was it was really nice seeing the, the growth... Like, this season like did worked really hard to sort of highlight the uh the failings of Picard like at the beginning uh sort of in the the uh him kind of ruining his relationship with uh uh Laris but like I, I that really helped me feel the growth uh that's happened over this season and yeah I, I felt like it was a pretty effective way to to sort of wrap up um that bit for his character and showed us like where he where he's gone I thought Patrick Stewart's performance in that moment in particular was of of note as well. He looked mm-hmm. devastated yeah. watching Dallin go off and sacrifice herself. And when she's, especially when she's telling him like, you won't let me, it's not up to you. This is my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that was yeah. really meaningful. Yeah. Um, well, she, she kind of goes off um, towards the crew quarters, I guess. And then we find that Soong has infiltrated the the NASA launch, whatever, Europa launch facilities. Just cards on the table. I really like this episode in general, but it, there's definitely little, like, problems in its writing. And how did Soong show up at NASA, like, is what I want to know. Well, and there's no way, it doesn't matter how much money he would he donated, there's no way they would let him break the quarantine protocol. I mean, there's just, like, that is yeah. such an important thing for space launches. <laughs> like, I just, I was like, this, that is total BS. They would never do that. But uh, I mean, similarly, that, that you can just, as a rando, walk in with the uh, other astronauts and be like, I am also supposed to be here. And then just like, <laughs> oh, talent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just put on their clothes. Also, why are there like 50 astronauts like in this yeah. little capsule? Like it's like a clown car of astronauts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there were definitely a few, few issues. Um, there was a reference to how Soong had, or Girardi had jacked um, the La Serena transporters from, Soong's base and there was some conversation about how basically Girardi might have honored the deal with Soong by transporting him out of there back to LA at the last moment um you know kind of as like a neutral element rather than being on the side of Girardi's friends or anything like that so there there is a kind of tenuous explanation of how Soong shows up um at at NASA with his uh extremely bad attitude and his like poison <laughs> hand 
Oh. It's poison hand. <laughs> and what if he like someone was like Doctor Soong, nice to meet you, and then like tried to shake his hand, and you had to be like, no, no. <laughs> Just trail of I like dead to touch people. people. Right. <laughs> you know, I found it. So I know we're maybe skipping a little bit. I found it really okay. Now maybe she didn't see Soong try to hit her with a car. But so, and I, we know now it wasn't Renee that ran out and said, oh, Dr. Sue, you know, oh, I need yeah. you to help me because this crazy woman is in here, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it just like, like, was there a prior relationship established between those two characters? I was trying to remember that like she would run out like that, or maybe he just didn't care because he wanted to kill her. So he, he I mean, just accepted whatever chance he got. He is kind of like a well-known person. It seems yeah. like he's, he's, he's donated a lot of money to the program. He's yeah. kind of got a lot of news articles. So maybe it's one of those like Dr. Einstein, I recognize you. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Anyway. Um, so, we have the sequence going on at the NASA uh, headquarters or launch site or whatever you want to call it. And at the same time, we have Rios and Seven and Rafi breaking into the Soong compound where ostensibly Soong is ordering his drones. But then it turns out it's just an audio file. <laughs> I, I mean, like... Uh... I understand like wanting to put indirection in there, but it, it, it definitely felt a little bit weird that he went to the trouble of like also having the audio file. Cause like, I don't, I think they would have been still looking around and trying to uh, figure out what he's doing. Uh, if he didn't have that audio file playing. And if he also wasn't playing that audio file, they wouldn't have known he was trying to launch drones to. Yeah. He made it <laughs> a lot drone. easier for them. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know that that was like, tactically helpful <laughs> right right and it's it's kind of one of those things where he he's the kind of the mustache twirling villain from the you know tie the lady to the train tracks movies where yeah. he like explains all of his entire plan <laughs> to, to the protagonist um yeah and then that whole drone sequence was a little I mean, it did raise the the stakes a little bit, but I I don't think it was kind of a most substantial, a very substantial part of this. Uh, I I honestly expected that drone sequence where where they have to hack the drones, but they're launching, and I expected Seven it, it to be one where Seven becomes comfortable with being a Borg, where Raffi is like Seven, I can't do this manually. You need to assimilate the drones. That's what I assumed too. Yeah. Um, so I do think that was a missed opportunity to have, like, among all the characters learning lessons, we've had Seven of Nine express how um, sensitive she is about her ex-Borg status to show that that can be an asset would have kind of been a little bit cool, I think. Except she hmm. kind of, well, not, it wouldn't have been exactly the same. She had kind of had to do something like that in season one. Remember when she kind of plugged in to be the Borg queen kind of yeah. for a moment, you know, anyway, so yeah, I wonder they if that's them why all they didn't space do and it. didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, and then she crashed it on the planet and then they didn't use it. <laughs> 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 yeah. There, I, I do think this, this the Picard has an element of writers just throwing in some stuff cause it's fun or cool and then not really doing anything with it or not mm. really thinking through the second order implications of what they're doing. Um, and and I I I wish I think this the writing on Picard is generally stronger than Discovery, but I think it has some of the same issues of like the writers not spending enough time thinking through the next 
set of things that occurs to mm -hmm. viewers when they see a particular scene or a particular character or whatever, you know, at all time. But anyway, minor squabble, uh, minor quibble, rather. So Rios manually pilots all the drones to their demise. And um, then the scene of, well, right before that, I guess, is the scene with Renee and Talon. Where it turns out that Talon has been giving Renee gifts and like meeting her in the past and things like that. Yeah, because the... she'd made the comment, "We're not supposed to ever meet them." But and and, she and has. said like, "I've never seen her, and she's never seen me." But clearly, so that, yeah, that, that felt a little bit weird. But also, like, yeah, she could have been lying to Picard, and like, yes. that's that's fine. Um. So yeah, I, I, uh, it was nice to get to get some like meaningful moments and, and sort of can help it. I I think it would have been hard to connect how meaningful it was for her to like sacrifice herself uh uh if we ha didn't have them like meet and do mm -hmm. that that scene so I, I i fully get why they um why they went for that and it was nice to uh have q sort of like wrap up was it q i think wrapped up and said like this is the only timeline where uh they got to meet uh oh yeah i think so yeah. and i do think that again that was a Another scene which showcased some beautiful acting, mm -hmm. um, both from Orla Brady and Penelope um, Mitchell, uh, who I thought was is a really talented actress. Like I, I, I really wish we'd got more of Renee Picard because Penelope mm -hmm. Mitchell did a great job in this episode. Like I found her acting like when she's going out to get soon, even when she's dying um, later. The acting in the scene where she's kind of just confused and perplexed you can see like in the scene with Talon for example you can see the the like multitude of emotions just flashing behind her eyes mm -hmm. yeah um and I, I I really I really liked her her performance in this whole mm -hmm. season so it's kind of sad we won't get to see more of her yeah same it like I mean it's so much of this like mirrored other Star Treks that we've seen uh in the sense of like we have a plot that's like roughly uh if you took um voyage home and first contact and just like mashed them together uh that's mm -hmm. like roughly this this season but uh so yeah i i think i agree with you because like so much of of first contact was like driven by zephram cochran's character and i i feel like we could have had more of that going into um renee and it 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 seemed to mostly just kind of turn into that we're uh helping resolve sort of a momentary uh, psychological crisis and then uh then it's mostly uh uh just like make sure she doesn't get murdered uh and it, it would have been nice to have a bit more than that yeah i think the the this, this speaks to your point from your strange new take where sometimes it feels like there weren't enough episodes and sometimes it feels there were too many we should have gotten an an episode focused on Renee, perhaps, instead of some of those, mm -hmm. like, what the you know, se right. episode seven, eight, and nine, which kind of dragged a little bit at mm -hmm. times. If we'd got some more time with Renee, with maybe more of the space program, something like that, I think that would have been a better maybe use of, of some of this. Um, and then, then the episode kind of takes your classic uh, Star Trek misdirect, where it seems like one thing is happening, but it's actually the other. Um, and it looks like Soong is killed. Um, oh yeah, Renee. But in fact, it's actually Talon. I, I, I yeah. I, I I did at least briefly think like, oh, did 
did Renee actually die? And Talon now needs to pretend to be Renee and and like have like fulfill Renee's destiny or whatever, which I think would have been interesting uh, as an alternative, mm-hmm. but um, may- maybe not uh, not the right sort of tragedy for how the rest of the season was built. <laughs> right, right, exactly. And I uh, I don't know. It was kind of strange to me that um, there was this kind of like very intimate death for Picard and Talon, given that they very, they barely touch on the whole Laris and Talon um, similarity. I, I feel like neither of them really, it kind of felt like a very unspoken thing was occurring on the screen um, mm. in some ways during that whole death scene. Uh, I do think it was a meaningful death. I think like it, it did it for a character who we only known for a single season and it's, played by an actress who's going to come back on screen soon in a very similar uh, outfit mm-hmm. or not outfit, makeup um, mm-hmm. for, for a very similar character. I think it was a meaningful death, but it, it I think I, I wish we'd had Talon know who Laris was. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't remember if they had ever talked about it because did Picard. He, he said like, you must be a, an ancestor. Yeah. And yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah so I, I don't know. I, I I like that we helped Picard resolve his relationship issues uh, and make him like sort of choose uh, his his own destiny. But it it uh, it, it it's still just it like it feels a little bit weird how it was handled. But um, it's fine. <laughs> See how sad yeah. you were when Talon died. You'd be even sadder if Laris were to die. You should go. Be in a relationship with her. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's kind that's, of what's that, happening that, that, by the scenes, you know. <laughs> Which I mean, it it worked. So, <laughs> good job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, and I mean, I, I want to point out again that this is like what we've talked about so far, where they resolve the like overriding dilemma of the episode is maybe like one third of the actual episode itself. Um, we're just like zooming through and resolving the whole Europa mission issue. Uh, immediately mm-hmm. and after that happens we see soon watching the transmission from space realizing his work is done <laughs> yeah. i felt like that's what i needed to do like all those scenes <laughs> where the villain is like oh i can't believe i failed someone on the internet pointed out that soon smashes a cabinet breaking all of his little bottles uh, much like Picard, it doesn't first contact with his ships. Um, so that's another first contact reference, perhaps. When they first saw that that set, I thought maybe that was damage that Rios and Seven and and um, I just forgot her name, Rafi. I was gonna say Michelle Heard. That's the actress. Um, anyway, that the three of them left, and then I realized, oh no, it's because he had a rampage in his office. I think that was more what the mess was from. Yeah, yeah, and and then we see Corey is sitting in a library yeah. with her Oculus Quest Eight or whatever it is, and <laughs> remotely deleting all of her "quote unquote" dad's files. Uh, and Soong's brilliance. I mean, there are some people who are like, "How does a man as brilliant as Soong not have backups?" And let me tell you, brilliance is not associated with having backups. Like no. it is, it. There's far too many people and very important corporations that don't back up their shit properly. Uh, And you work in IT, Adam. Um, 
uh, Atlassian recently uh, deleted like hundreds of their customers' uh, data and took weeks to get back to a <laughs> usable state. So yeah, extremely large companies uh, make mistakes like this uh, where they, they delete things that don't have backups. So um, Soon can do that too. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, it's it's like... Um... The next person, you know, like you got Alton Inigo, Eric, Eric Soong and all this, like the next Soong is going to keep backup Soong. Reminder to the entire <laughs> family to back up their data in the future. Um, and then we see the reveal of like Soong pulling out the folder that says Project Khan dated uh, to 1994 or 1996, my bad. Was it dated that? Yeah, it was dated to, I'll tell you the specific date, June 7th, 1996. Because I was feeling like maybe they were doing a bit, not a retcon, but so um, according to the original series, the eugenics wars were in the 90s, right? Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But it does not feel like the eugenics wars were in the 90s in this version of the past. And it didn't, well, past slash future. Um, it didn't feel like the eugenics wars were in the 90s, obviously, when Voyager went back to 1996 or whatever mm -hmm. year they were back in the 90s. Um, and with what happened in Strange New Worlds, it made me think that the eugenics wars happened not, like after, uh, like in that, 2024 that is, because they, is what they, it they feels like. They talk about the, the eugenics wars, the second American Civil War and, yes. and World War Three as being one yes. con like continuous event. Like it makes it look like, I mean, because they're showing footage from January 6th in Strange New Worlds. And then mm -hmm. after that is when the eugenics wars happened. So I wondered if they were kind of doing a bit of a retcon to make it a little more uh, fitting in with our world, right? Or our timeline. Interesting. Um, and having the eugenics wars actually be in the 2020s instead of, um, yeah, anyway. I just want to take this one moment since we're talking about Khan to again voice my displeasure that fucking Benedict Cumberbatch played Khan Noonien Singh. Apparently, oh. if you're if you're in, from India and become the Ubermensch or whatever, you turn white. Uh, I mean, they used the colonizer of India to play Khan Noonien. I mean, like, come on. <laughs> At least Ricardo Montalban, like, fine, he's brown. Like, I'll take it, you know? Like... <laughs> For the 60s, that was progressive for the 60s. They, they, could, they could have just put some brown makeup on a white guy. Yeah, right. I mean, um, they probably did too, but... Uh, but there are plenty of good Indian actors that they could have used yeah. to play Khan in this in, Into Darkness. Good maybe, maybe that's what Project Khan by uh, Soong is. It's like a way to like retcon uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. But anyway, uh, I'm not going there any further but um <laughs> the point is i i wonder if project khan quote unquote was just a way to have khan um like soon helped khan escape you know because he he khan is said to rule uh a, a large part of earth between 1992 and 1996 according mm -hmm. to tos remember the far future 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 when tos came out uh, and and instead he you know now we know that Soong had something to do with Khan in '96 so maybe that was Khan realized what was happening with the augment leaders kind of fighting amongst themselves in the eugenic war so he decided to take Soong's help to escape Earth 
and um, leave. So maybe Soong... I, I still don't understand why Soong has this one printed file and what the significant... Like, why he's, like, holding yeah. on to it as if, like, you know, my data's gone, but at least I got this. Like, well, I, because it's I, in I, paper I guess, form. Like, if we, if we go with Emily's theory that, like, they're trying to retcon something, like, I uh, I wonder... Retcon. Uh, uh, I'm wondering if it could be something like uh, he started the con project in 1996 and he's actually like, cause like he's, he's been trying to create people like uh, Corey is like his first successfully created person. And I wonder if her template, like this, the success of that is going to be used as his template for creating the augments. And like con is someone he's going to create. I, I, I right. don't know. Yeah. So basically this is the start of, um, mm -hmm. the future, Eric Soong's yeah augment work. This is like mm -hmm. his his grandfather or father or whatever turns to his work on Project Khan as a way to continue working in eugenics yeah. after Corey deletes all of his like other and, files. And and I, and I guess like maybe the if we if we keep that file from 1996, we could say like the eugenics wars started in the 90s because that's when he created the people or he started creating the people that would be involved later. I don't know. Yeah, well, there's some wibbly wobbly there, which we might. I mean, uh, also remember, strange new worlds might have some something to say about this at some point, because uh, we've got a yeah. union sing in there. Hey, uh, anyway. And they well, mention the eugenics wars, so they do mention the yeah. eugenics wars. Um, well, anyway, we 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 see Soong, you know, clutching the final bit of his life left, and I think this is another character who has maybe not internalized the lesson but who, who's learned the lesson but maybe not internalized it which is that soon chooses his duty over his family remember his cory asks him are you afraid mm -hmm. for me your daughter dying or your work or your life's work mm -hmm. and soon chooses work over his daughter and he loses both as a result mm -hmm. and and loses you know himself or whatever mm -hmm. That's explicitly the opposite choice of what Rios makes uh, a few scenes afterwards when he Rios chooses to still stay behind. Mm. Uh, I know somebody, I saw a post from somebody on our Star Trek who was very upset. He's like, Rios abandoned his crew. He abandoned Starfleet. The oath he had taken, like, how could he? And, I, and my thing was, number one, you're right in a sense, but the whole lesson of the season has been that family and the people around you, your friends, your connections, your kind of your circle is important. It's as important as the work you will do in this world. And so you can't sacrifice the people you love and your feelings of connection uh, for your life's work. Otherwise, you might end up 90 something living on a on a wine chateau. Uh, you know, uh, turning down, you know, romantic overtures from Orla Brady. Yeah, Which, I mean, I, who wants to do that? Yeah, really, I don't know. I, maybe she, Orla Brady was making romantic overtures to me. I would not. I would not say no. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if few of us would. Uh, but uh, anyway, uh, that either being here or not there. You were going to say something, Adam. Um, I was going to say something, but I'm not entirely sure what it was that I was going to say. Okay. Well, I, I just think this is another. You know. I, again, like I said at the beginning, I think there are, are inflection points of this episode which kind of point out to what this season was trying to do. And there's been some general expression of how this season's plot is somewhat convoluted and kind of not linear. 
and maybe we'll pick that up a little bit at the end when we discuss it as a whole but i think the overriding element of the season has been this kind of message of keep the people who you care about close to you don't sacrifice your loved ones mm-hmm. um or connections to your loved ones um for for work it's also the seven and Rafi plot by the way because they can't quite make the whole Fenris Ranger or Starfleet lifestyle work mm-hmm. for the two of them um so anyway that, that that's kind of something I picked up on in the soon aspect of his daughter kind of coming in and betraying him quote unquote was was part of that um just before the break here we should talk about the next scene in the garden with Will Wheaton Phil Wheaton Phil Wheaton <laughs> yeah I, okay and the travelers yeah. uh, I, I mean uh, if, if you're gonna write off a character uh, write him off with a reference to uh, another classic episode of, of Star Trek from the 90s and <laughs> that, that's just kind of what it felt like to me is like hey we uh, Corey we, we've noticed uh, that we don't actually have anything for your character to, to do ever again in Star Trek uh, I'm Will Wheaton. You know me from uh, the after show of Star Trek, uh, The Ready Room, and I'm here to uh, traveler you away. And also it turns out that I'm Gary Seven's father. And like, that's, we, we wrapped it up and it's I th- all done. I did think that was interesting how they tied the travelers together with the supervisors. Yeah. Um, I was like, oh, that's interesting. But... It's like, fine. <laughs> did you read, did any of you read Will, Will Wheaton's blog about the episode? about oh, coming no, back to do that care anyway it was didn't really, know that he had a blog he had a um he just kind of shared his reflections on his journey with coming to like accepting uh wesley crusher and actually really loving wesley crusher and seeing mm-hmm. the parallel in wesley crusher's journey and his own journey even though they happened at slightly different times and you know mm-hmm. just just being two people who didn't quite fit in um, the expectations that people had for them and them having to find their own way and how much it's meant to him as he kind of came to that realization about himself. Anyway, it was really poignant and makes that, I think it made that scene even better retro retrospectively, which there are a Mm. lot of things that have been that way in Picard. There have been things that have happened after that have made previous scenes better. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know about y'all, but I always thought that, the whole traveler thing was kind of a loose end in Star Trek. It just didn't make any sense to me because it was, you know, how many omnipotent beings is Star Trek going to have like Mm -hmm. in the universe? And I mean, not everything in the universe has to be consistent and wrapped up with a bow, but I thought this was a nice way to make the whole Gary seven thing, which is another unwrapped kind of uh, loose end, just kind of hanging out there to Mm -hmm. tie that in with the traveler was really smart. Mm -hmm. It fits everything that Gary seven told Kirk in in assignment earth you know that he's been assigned by a planet full of very powerful beings to watch the world it explains how romulan ended up on earth as a traveler yeah and it gives us wesley getting a little you know uh a a full stop on Mm -hmm. on his storyline in star trek well and also i thought his pitch to Corey was actually i mean you could totally see why she would take it yeah. Like it was just it was just really cool the way he described what the travelers do and what their mm-hmm. purpose is and I was like, yeah, that, I mean cuz what what else is she going to do? Like she's she's not going to find a place if she stays in in 2024. That's going to be a pretty <laughs> she's she is not the same as everybody else and that's going to somehow be uncovered 
and yeah, yeah. turn into a really bad thing for her, you know. So Yeah, I think I think it was it was a very um uh kind of neat bow on 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 that. And I think that's what another kind of element of this episode overarching mission, I think, was to put a bow on TNG. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like this season in particular was is is kind of been more of an epitaph to TNG than anything else mm-hmm. um and I think this was one element of that so I I've, I found it really meaningful I kind of I, I was just sitting there kind of in shock to see Wesley in there and I thought I thought it was really yeah. beautifully done yeah, right, I, I, I certainly mm-hmm. hadn't been hadn't been expecting that at all uh mm-hmm. so and they hit it pretty well because they, they had like an article about how uh, Will Wheaton was like, uh, he said something about how he wishes he was in season three. And there were like a, a few internet posts at the time about people being outraged that that Will Wheaton was being excluded. And it's kind of funny now in retrospect to kind of see that. So I think they yeah. pulled the wool over our eyes a little bit. Uh, yes, yeah, similar to, I, I think LeVar Burton had at some point confirmed he wasn't in season two. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And, and, um, the, you know, with Strange New Worlds revealing that Kirk would be would be in, yeah. you know, and and so whenever they mention Kirk in the in the season premiere of um, Strange New Worlds, we assume it's James T. So mm-hmm. uh, I like that our uh, our Star Trek showrunners are getting a little savvy with their public statements and marketing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's take a break here. We'll come back and describe, uh, talk about kind of the, the second half of this episode with Q and uh, stuff that happens in the future. Why me? I am moving on. In your parlance, I am dying. Yes, I know. Alone. I am dying alone. I do not want that for you. Humans, your griefs, your pains fix you to moments in the past long gone. You're like butterflies with your wings pinned. My old friend, forever the boy who with an errant turn of a skeleton key broke the universe in his own heart, no more. You are now unshackled from the past. As I leave, I leave you free. Welcome back to Strange New Takes, where Emily started saying something that I thought was kind of good to have <laughs> on the air. Um, what uh, about how I'm sleeping? No, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just kidding. Right. Yes. I know that's not what you meant. No, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, I was, I, there's, I feel like I don't have as much to say about the first half of the episode because it was so quick. Like they just really quickly wrapped up some of these big plot points that we're kind of carrying throughout the season. And then they spent a lot of time and care with the second half of the episode. And so there's just, um, you know, there were more emotional beats that happened. I mean, there were mm-hmm. a few in the first half, you know, with Talon right. and, but, um, but it just, they really, the meat of the episode was not the first half. It was the second half. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the first half had some signs of, of links to the overarching thematic mm-hmm. elements, but it was mostly focused on the tactical mm-hmm. plot points, as you're saying, with the yeah, like how do we resolve such. all this stuff? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. The, the second half was more kind of emotionally focused, I think. Mm-hmm. So let's jump into that. We, we've, uh, after solving the Europa mission problem and after the traveler comes on screen, we have, we're back at the chateau because apparently going between, fr- like, why? 
Why couldn't the missile Europa launch have been like a... I mean, I know why, because they wanted to film in LA, because they were probably doing the the filming, you know, out in, in Hollywood. But like, why couldn't they have like Paris be the host of the launch or something? Like maybe the European <laughs> Space Agency was launching the Europa mission. I mean, it's called the Europa mission, people. Then, you know, these guys could just have to sit in like a tiny little hatchback Renault driving between the Chateau and Paris, you know? Uh, yeah, that, that there is. I mean, I, I'm glad that we that Talon has a transporter because it it helps. I mean, I I liked to think that like maybe in between some of these episodes, uh, Picard just like got onto a 747 and uh, just like went went through security just like all of us. Um, yeah, no, yeah. it's kind but, of well, interesting. Picard Picard didn't get his like he was like I will have another glass of wine and the the uh, the whole stewardess is like I'm sorry, sir. In coach, you only get one glass of wine. We can't give you one. And he's like. This is an outrage. The line must be drawn here. This far, no further. I'll have more alcohol. See, you know, I was just thinking, there is there is a fascination that Star Trek has with California, i.e. San Francisco, and France. Because isn't the Federation headquarters in Paris? Yeah, it is. So anyway, but it's just interesting that they still did California and France. They just did the Chateau and then they did uh, Los Angeles. So they just, yeah. they chose slightly different locations. So it wasn't quite the familiar locations we're always dealing with in Star Trek, but close enough. Wasn't, so the song California Dreamin'. Mm-hmm. I forget if it's, the original is about the mamas and papas, but I mm-hmm. think it was like remixed by a, ba- uh, a DJ whose name is like Bay Area something something. So there is like a tangential link from the uh. season because they used that song. To, uh, well, to the they show pictures. Of, oh no, no, I'm I'm thinking of the wrong show. I'm thinking of uh, they were showing. I'm like they showed pictures of San Francisco and Strange New Worlds. This is what yeah. happens when you put two Star Trek episode or episodes <laughs> from different series coming out on the same day. Uses yeah. well, the and podcasters. We, <laughs> and, and we we reused uh, the 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 uh, the guy who was listening uh, to his boombox on uh, in in San Francisco. He now lives in LA. LA. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's there right. Was more. Uh, <laughs> San Francisco ties. There you go. There is. There is. Well, so we're back at the chateau, and um, let's just jump straight to the scene with Q and mm-hmm. Picard in the greenhouse. You know, it's so. So I think I said this on the podcast too. I don't think I just said this to my husband, but like the whole time I knew that Q Q is not the villain. Like I never really yeah. thought that Q was the villain in this, and I just loved the way they really revealed that in this last episode you know these last beats like you could just see this is this was not villainous q who was trying to um trying to screw with things in the way that we traditionally think of q like i didn't ever feel that he was doing this because he was trying to torment picard or that he saw picard as this plaything or or any of that and i kind of felt vindicated in how they wrapped up this piece of the story because it became clear that it was actually because he loves picard and um, coming to the end of his life, he wanted Picard to be a part of that. Um, and albeit yeah. in a strange way <laughs> that it messes with Picard, you know, but let's let's face it. Q doesn't really have great people skills when it comes to how he interacts with humanity. Well, and, so and, and, and I, I think that's like a perfect uh, way of portraying that like relationship of, of like a god to to mere mortals is like uh like yeah, he he wasn't doing it doing these things because like Picard is his plaything and he just like wants to do things. It's just like because he's a god, if he wants to do something meaningful for people, 
the way that he does it is by uh, changing, uh, like altering history and uh, making it so, because he like he wants he wants some way for Picard to like rechoose his own life uh, and and sort of like have that that thing come full circle. Mm-hmm. And the way for him to do that is to alter all of human history and create a totalitarian empire that destroys the <laughs> galaxy. And like, but it <laughs> like yeah, I I, I think it, it this was a really great way, and and I think it it loops well with the other bits of Q that we've seen throughout the series where it, like he uh, like it, it's, it's often he's trying to tell a, give some sort of lesson or like he has some, something he's trying to convey or some, or maybe he's trying to learn from humans. Uh, and like, yeah, the, the consequences of it are that everyone hates him and uh, thinks he's, he's a big giant asshole, but like, it's, um, I don't know. I, I I was really really satisfied with the conclusion of uh, Q's story here. Mm-hmm. I think we also got vintage Picard in this scene. A lot of this show has been about the new Jean Luc, thirty mm-hmm. years later or whatever since mm-hmm. the last time we've seen him, and it's it's been very much where he's kind of been a very different character. But in that scene where he says why. And then Q says, finish the sentence, and it's, why me? You could yeah. see Picard in The Next Generation saying mm-hmm. exactly that in just the same way. It was mm-hmm. kind of, it transported me back to those days. Um, we also got some good cinematography and acting, I thought, um, where Q is standing up and Picard is sitting in the chair learning from Q, basically. Mm-hmm. That, that's what we're seeing. Um, and then to go to go to what you were just saying, Adam... This scene happens right after we see Picard replacing the skeleton key. Instead of smashing it to bits so that he protects his mother, he chooses actually to pass the key forward in the wall, hiding space, so that his child self in the future will find it. And and the same reality will come to pass as... um, as they've just... as he's lived through his entire life, Jean-Luc, rather than kind of changing the future. And that's Q's lesson, um... In a way, Q is kind of like a therapist, right? A therapist mm-hmm. wants you to think through the problems yourself. They're not going to give you the solutions right away. They're, they're going to ask you to, they're going to challenge your mind to work through the problem by itself and come up with the best solution for you. Mm-hmm. So I wonder why they even had to have the other part of the story. Um, like why did the Europa mission and Soong and all this stuff happen when it was seeing Picard come to terms with what happened to his mother and the role he thinks he played in it. Obviously you do not, you do not lead a person to generally, you know, in this situation, it was not his fault that his mother died by suicide. Like it was absolutely not his fault. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's something he's carried with himself. Um, so I'm thinking like, what do the other things have to do unless, um, it was, the fact that Rene Picard obviously had some struggles with mental health yeah. as well. And so having him, uh, having him, the, the, the need to have some sort of interaction with her is kind of what spun him into this, um, this episode where he was trapped in his mind, you know, when they were trying to go through and, 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 you know, the episode that we're like, oh, why do they have to spend a whole episode on this? But I'm yeah. the more I'm thinking about, I mean, I think that was the episode that actually was the point of the whole season. But even though yeah, yeah. it wasn't it, our favorite episode, um, 
But uh, yeah, anyway, I'm just trying to figure out like how all of these other things and why was Q trying to force Renee to not take the mission, like not go on the mission? And why was Q trying to mess with um, Soong so that it would seem that maybe Soong would be Victoria? Anyway, so that kind of stuff was a little strange considering where we ended up with Q. But I don't really care because I really loved how they ended it. So it was kind of like this. It was absolved. <laughs> all, all is forgiven. <laughs> I think I think Soong is just a bad person, right? So like you could see that as Q kind of setting Corey free and using mm. a bad person to kind of further his plans um mm. and in some ways maybe stopping soong helped humanity as well um, but he also wanted soong to stop picard like wasn't he the one like yeah yeah but that i mean that that's just he wanted to put picard into a place where picard would do the things that he wanted picard yeah. to do yeah. so i mean there yeah. there is a little bit of like you know wibbly wobbly as i'd like yeah. to call it in star trek plots that's true but i mean this is a god we're talking about mm-hmm. playing with the lives of mere mortals which q has always been willing to do in the past so mm-hmm. i think he actually like calls himself um uh a, a god at one point in this episode doesn't he um I can't remember. yeah even gods play or have favorites or something oh like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 and and by the way as in terms of self-awareness um I just freaking love, I just love what Picard says. But why does it does all this matter? And and Q is like, is something going to happen for which? Or Picard continues, is something going to happen for which I will be required? He's like, are you are you preparing me for something? And Q is like, must it always have galactic import, universal stakes, <laughs> celestial upheaval? Must Burnham always solve all the problems? <laughs> but what, what I thought was hilarious is how much that clashes with the actual end of this episode. <laughs> where the, <laughs> we have this the true like, galactic where, like, where, like, anomaly. Must it, always, <laughs> must it always result in the destruction of like the whole galaxy? Like, oh my god, it turns out this thing that we haven't been thinking about, it, there is a galactic ending of <laughs> that's happening. Yeah. So we, yeah. all, we all need to arrange ourselves in a grid and have some super shields. Uh, and to be fair to Q, that's not—he wasn't preparing Picard for that. He was just making no. Picard like a, uh, you know, and and Picard had chosen to kind of end his own life with the stargazer blowing up. So mm-hmm. really, you could just see it as Q maybe helping his friends survive. But mm-hmm. yes, well, and, and also for, help help it to because I guess if if the he if. If inadvertently Picard was going to like destroy the entire Federation by blowing himself up in the Stargeyser, like Q might have thought, like that's a bad ending for Picard. Let's figure out how to make that not a thing. Right, right. I mean, the other thing that, it, by the way, this uh, galactic importing clashes with is basically the the entire history of the galaxy changes based on whether the Europa mission is successful or not. So yeah, <laughs> this whole season has been about galactic import. Well, anyway, um. Quickly go into the scene with uh, Q meeting the rest of the Stargazer crew. Mm-hmm. Um, and Rafi is like, you killed Eldor! And Q is all of us. Whenever like, He's like, who? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Rafi. Oh, my God. Oh, it was great. I mean, it's... 
so so let's tackle the the end of this scene first and mm-hmm. then maybe circle back to the Rios decision because I think that one is a slightly longer discussion whereas we've already jumped into this Q Picard thing. Q talks about how he wants the end of his life to have meaning and so he's going to help the guy that he has a little bit of connection with. He doesn't have people around him so he wants Jean-Luc to not have that same issue. And then Jean-Luc turns that around by telling Q that you you're not alone. I love you, basically. Mm-hmm. That hug. I got teary. I got teary as well. And you know, it's funny because it happened. So I know you I know you skipped the Rios thing, but like when Rafi and Rios had their goodbye, I was like, I'm kind of sad that I'm not really having an emotional moment with this. Like I just I don't know. And I like all those characters, but I just didn't have I don't know if it's because people have been talking about that inevitability all season, inevitability all season long that Rios would leave. But um, I just, I don't know. I was like, oh, I'm sad. I, I wanted this episode to bring a tear to my eye. And then they have the Q yeah. and Picard hug. And I was like, oh, there's the tear. <laughs> and Travis and I both really loved that. We just thought it was beautiful. It's it's the whole of TNG was yes. Q terrorizing Picard and Picard wanting to be rid of Q and it comes full circle. Yes. To Picard loving Q. And it's just... Yes. No, it was awesome. It was a it's great... Beautiful. It was a great send-off for Q. And John Delancey is just brilliant. I mean, yeah. just brilliant in mm. that role. It was also a great... I feel like... But this is this is what, what, what I meant by saying this is an epitaph for TNG. Is that mm-hmm. there are these things from TNG that are still like open questions to us, right? Like, mm-hmm. why is Q doing this to Picard... How is this great friendship going to resolve itself? And we finally got that answer. And it's mm-hmm. so satisfying. Mm-hmm. I think it was, it, to me, I think that's the, the core thing that I got out of this episode is that it, yeah. it is a very satisfying finish for the Q Picard kind of uh, frenemies relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, and kudos to the writers for pulling that off. Like, I know I've, I've, quest a little bit about a few of the episodes this season and how they dragged and such and i've had my quibbles about picard season two but they stuck the landing on this one with just that mm-hmm. one scene i feel like that scene made this entire season worth it to me mm-hmm. well and it, it kind of like how i uh i was not a fan overall of of picard season one but like the the sort of like re-edit of data's death uh that that picard season season one kind of gave us was immensely satisfying to me. So I I, I think that uh, where they they maybe have some some failings as they're uh, sort of going about epi- episode to episode, uh, they've been really delivering on certain key points uh, with this series. I think they're giving meaning to some of the things that we see on yeah. TNG. Some of the relationships of Nepenthe in season one, mm-hmm. I think was also that thing of, of getting some meaning there. And out of the whole Troy Riker relationship and having um, Riker be Picard's number one, we got some meaning um, to that as well. So, mm-hmm. so th- I, I thought it was from that sense, I feel like Picard is really giving us, giving the fans who are wishing for more TNG, wishing for some sort of like continuation. It's not giving them maybe what they wanted. I think those people just wanted to get a TNG season eight, but it's giving them, I think, something that's more <laughs> meaningful, which is, yeah. again, these, they're wrapping up beloved characters and giving them meaning in their in what they've done before. Um, let, speaking of meaning, 
Let's talk about Rios. Uh, I mentioned earlier that there was a internet thread about somebody who, I mean, literally the, 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 the title of the thread was why, why I was mad about Rios staying behind and you should be too. And <laughs> cards on the table, I'm not mad. I thought the Rios decision made a lot of sense. And I think his... I talked at the end of Discovery about how sometimes you have to cause some pain to beloved characters to to give a more fulfilling uh, emotional experience to the viewer. And I think this mm-hmm. the reason we loved Rio so much was why he had to go. Um, we did love him. His, it is a difficult choice for him as a captain of a starship to choose to stay in the past. Or whether to choose love. And I also, he isn't just choosing love. He's choosing to stay in a timeline with a world war coming up. He knows that that's what's going to happen. And instead, he's choosing to do that. To run an organization smuggling medical supplies, the Mariposas. With this woman who has dedicated her life to saving people. And again, he's choosing relationships, people mm-hmm. around him. He's choosing love and family over kind of... And using that to pick which duty he's going to fulfill. And I think that's the whole point of the season um, so far. So I thought that that it made perfect sense why Rios would stay. And from a writing standpoint, I think as much as Rios is now, like, as far as I'm concerned, like top five Star Trek captains of all time, just him sitting there with a cigar going dale was like one of my favorite, like, <laughs> captain moments in all of Star Trek. Um, I think it makes sense for him to to have been written off the show. I I I think, uh, at least yeah. I I think I agree with that. Uh, I, I one thing that I do appreciate that the writers gave is that uh, Guinan had the sort of moment of like, oh, and by the way, dummy, you didn't see that I had this uh picture in the corner over here. Uh, so like confirming that uh he didn't die in a nu- nuclear inferno like a couple decades later, because <laughs> I, I as we started getting into the end of this uh and sort of like saying like well okay see you uh twenty uh, first century uh we're gonna go off to the the future which has been restored and uh sorry but all of you are gonna be dead uh very soon in a horrible way uh felt like a weird send off so at, at least we gave like a happy ending to some of the characters that we got connected to yeah i and I, I think it is a happy ending for reals and i mm-hmm. i'm i i think that there you know the same people who would be upset who are upset now would have been upset if teresa and ricardo showed up in the 26th century or whatever uh <laughs> um they so had to anyway, do one or the other so someone yeah. was going to see someone around the around the galaxy or whatever and uh, yeah. And I mean, just as one last point, which is Rios has had a pretty tragic existence up to this point. You know, he talked about how his mother, how he was trying to impress her in the simulator at Starfleet. We talked about how his, in last season, about how his cap, he had to like watch his captain kill himself. And then, yeah. you know, how he tragically quit Starfleet and was alone, surrounded by holograms mm-hmm. of himself. And I, f- I feel like he's found some meaning for himself. And that's, that's mm-hmm. a beautiful yeah. thing. Beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we see Q snap his fingers for the last time on Star Trek. Um, <laughs> and it was, worked. It did work. Um, that is a little bit of a loose end of why Q can do some snapping but not others. Like, right. But let's not 
Again, we we like the way they wrapped it up, so it's okay. Well, he, he wasn't willing to die with his snaps. He didn't fully uh, believe in it in this one. I guess he died and the snap worked at the same time. Yeah. And maybe that, that's one way that we can think of, like, why did he have to use Soong or whatever, is that he couldn't use all of his powers all the time, so he had to kind of do a little bit of mm-hmm. human mm-hmm. manipulation instead of just making things mm-hmm. appear when convenient. Anyway, um... We then go back to the Stargazer, where we Borgatti has um is playing a song by Edith Piaf instead of just revealing herself and saying, Hello, John Luke Picard. Um, some things are gonna happen in a few minutes that will explain why I'm here. Instead, she has to like have a mask and do all this like weird communication stuff. And well, the, she had to have a mask to cover up her terrible costume. <laughs> I mean, this show has some really good designers. I think the costume design generally has been very good on this show. Yeah. Um, I think Dorati has looked amazing in some of the things they've put her in in the show. I do not understand why that was the look they went with for the for Dorati Borg Queen. Like, it was just terrible. Yeah, it was, yeah. she looked kind of like, you know, that, uh, which is, uh, um, there's a movie with these, like, weird, like, AI robots, um, and she looked like, kind of like a, I mean, I guess, which is, she is Borg, so that makes sense, but it just, maybe they were like, you know, this, the Borg queen has been written as too sexy, so we need to go overcorrect in the other direction, and just make this person a tube with a head. <laughs> I just feel like it did a disservice to Allison Pill, too. Like, it just, I don't know. I just, anyway, I, yeah, I was not happy with that. That was the thing I was least happy with in this episode was the design of her costume. I was kind of offended by it. (laughs) And I can't quite put my finger on it, but it was just like, I don't know. I just, I felt offended on behalf of Alison Pill that that was, was how they made her look as the Borg Queen. It was extremely unflattering. And I don't even mean like it was, there was no, some part just, of her that was like no. shown in a bad light or anything. It was just yeah, yeah. a freaking tube. Yeah, and, no, it was terrible. And it was just an eyesore, like the, the stuff on her face and like the way that they had her like hair slicked back. And then she had like that weird metal helmet on the back. It was just poor character yeah. design. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Yeah, because I... I I, I don't know, like, they, they could have still, like, had it look a little bit different from the previous Borg Queen by, like, having that mask thing. But, like, I would have been fine. It, I mean, maybe they maybe they tested it and, like, uh, for whatever reason, Alison Pill also looked terrible in, like, the other makeup. But, like, uh, in terms of, like, how the Borg Queens normally look. But I, I, I feel like I would have rather just had that. I, we didn't need it to look, like, so dramatically different. Mm-mm. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, moving along, we do actually, I was afraid nobody on the ship was going to realize that Captain Rios wasn't there anymore. <laughs> and then yeah. we had like old school Captain Picard being like, stay on task, Helm, that's an order. When and the helmsman asked, where's Captain Rios? Anyway, that was pretty great. And uh, we also had Captain uh, Seven of Nine. Nice. I liked that. I thought that was yeah. pretty awesome. And I yeah, think I, she I, liked I, it. And I think uh, Rafi was like, hell yeah, that's right. <laughs> right. Um, we also, I mean, the, the, someone on Twitter pointed out that seven of nine basically gets a lot of like things that they typically reserve for the male heroes. She gets to wear a leather jacket. She gets to get, you know, a command position at the last moment and basically saves the fleet by Mm. barking orders. 
And so it was, I thought that was, it was a really great way to kind of flip the script of traditional Star Trek a little bit as well. Um, also, her, I don't know about you guys, but if I thought the Stargazer wasn't responding and the first communication that came out was, hello, the Xbox says do not resist. Um, I might be like, uh, I think I'm going to resist a little bit. <laughs> yeah there, there were several several moments of just like oh this is a huge leap of faith that these people are making yeah right hey it's a utopia man it's a utopia people just trust well, each other more but but maybe no one uh, no ex-borgs besides uh uh picard and seven of nine have have talked to anyone else about like oh if the uh queen assimilated me i would be got like i'd be super gone in like a second uh, maybe no one else knows that uh, there's that danger with Seven of Nine, and so they're like, "Oh, Seven of Nine is a badass and fought off, or like isn't Borg anymore. Therefore, she's even more trustworthy." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. It's like you were in the writers' room. <laughs> <laughs> well, we then find out that the reason Borgati has come on board the Stargazer is to point out that this stellar anomaly is in fact a trans warp conduit of some sort that she does that is created by some mysterious entity and Borgati wants to save the quadrant. Basically it's going to be a quadrant destructive event. Mm -hmm. So she has to have the entire fleet of Starfleet vessels harmonize their shields together. It's a few leaps of faith and like, you know, but at the same time I was like, you know what, just do it. It it was a very discovery ending to a very Picard season. Yes. (laughs) Yes, very much. So, uh, you know, Discovery warps in at the last moment and Burnham's like, actually, we don't need any of this. I'm just going to like beam (laughs) over to the transwarp conduit with the red angel suit and take it to the future. (laughs) Uh, uh, Like the, I mean, it it would be useful to have a transwarp conduit in the 32nd century when most of warp has been uh, like, we're still having trouble warping across certain areas. But I I mean, like this definitely felt like a, oh, uh, Season three is about to to get here, sir, and it's going to destroy the the whole galaxy. Uh, so let's stop it with the power of friendship. But like, like I I, I since they're like, oh, and we don't know what's going to come out of it. So so like, I, I guess this is going to be season three. That's going to like somehow, yeah. Somehow that's going to mean that we need to get Worf and the gang back together. But uh, I mean, I could see them just ignore us and use it in some other series or something else. Like this is just, I mean, section thirty one. The, the role that it plays, I think, in this episode is that it gives the Borgerati's existence meaning. Because basically, she it seems to be that she's some sort of splinter Borg. She doesn't seem to be connected with the other Borg. Mm-hmm. Because she's saying that she's going to stay on this the Alpha Quadrant side of this Transwarp Conduit and protecting it. Mm-hmm. Um, she and her little collective. And so, like, what she says is, what you see is a piece of the puzzle whose final image is unclear, but is tied to a threat. One which requires close observation. And then we request provisional membership in the Federation so we may remain here, a guardian at the gates. I do kind of think that they could have achieved all of this without the Transwarp Condor. They could have just shown Jurati come back and want to join the Federation. But hey, we'll see We'll see what they do with it, I guess, in the future. Maybe this is what uh, uh, Bryce was gonna go work with the other guy uh with Kovach at the end of season three of or season four of discovery <laughs> that was more important than uh the entire galaxy getting or than earth getting destroyed by uh 
<laughs> the DMA. DMA. <laughs> well, um, then we have the scene in the bar, which you've already talked about. It was nice seeing Whoopi Goldberg again, mm-hmm. which again, it just goes to like them tying up, uh, tying bows on TNG and finishing mm-hmm. off Guinan's um, kind of existence and her relationship with the card. And then did you guys hear the first contact theme twinkling in the background? Yes, I totally yes. did. Yes. Picard gives the toast to family. That was beautiful. That made me tear up quite a bit. Yeah. They have um, used a they have used a lot of first contact music in this in this whole season. Yeah. Great music too. Mm-hmm. Um it is. Well, and then oh, by the way, one last thing about the whole uh, saving the universe, uh, saving the Alpha Quadrant scene on the Stargazer. We have Raffi discovering that Elnor is still alive, and I was afraid it was going to be one of those discovery scenes where they're like, you know, having a long like conversation while the world is ending. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and instead, Elnor's like, "Yo, listen, I I gotta like calibrate these shields now, so I gotta go." <laughs> So, so that's uh, nice. At least they had some self-awareness there. And uh, yeah, he's back too, by the way. Elnor is back. Um, good for him. And that was we, the surprise. Although the mm-hmm. thing is now, we've, we've, it's been confirmed by the actors for Rios. Um, Isa Briones, um, who played Allison Corey, Pill. but also Soji. Um, Allison Pill. Mm-hmm. And I think the guy who plays Elnor. All four of them have, have said that they're leaving... Um, Star Trek Picard that they're no longer part of that show hmm. so it makes me oh, wonder okay. if season 3 is just going to be a completely different kind of season without 7 of 9 and Raffi and all this and it's just going to be Picard and his like merry band of you know TNG I crew. feel like I read an article somewhere though where Patrick Stewart said that the the TNG cast was going to show up at various points throughout the season so it was, that made it sound like it wasn't necessarily a whole mission that all of them were on together that for the we, whole thing we need to steal the enterprise and then uh go kill god for this time <laughs> it's just a season of picard sitting at a table at the bar and one by one the crew come up and they have an hour-long conversation and that's, <laughs> that's, that's the season right there um well finally then we had picard stopping laris from leaving um they don't even kiss. I know that I thought. Yeah, they just stood and looked at each other. Maybe that's more meaningful. Uh, Bollywood from the like until the nineties would say say that that is more meaningful. They you know have a musical sequence where they run around the Swiss Alps together. They have costume changes. That's what true love is about on the screen, not like this kissing stuff that uh, mm-hmm. Hollywood has imposed. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah, we have we have the two of them meaningfully looking into each other's eyes. So okay, real quick before we're gone. Um, off the card and into the next episode with Strange New Worlds. I wanted to ask you about your overall feelings with Picard season two. And when we do ratings in a minute, I'm going to ask you both for your rating for this episode, but also the season. So, yeah, Adam, why don't you go first? What do you? What did you think of Picard season two? I th- I think it, it it was a a vast improvement over season one. Like I I absolutely there are things that were messy about this season or episodes that I wasn't a huge fan of, but I. Uh, one, I was just, I was impressed with just like the complete tone change and, or like the feel of the, of the show was so different in, uh, episode one. Uh, and they just like kept going for like, uh, I think at least half the season where I was just incredibly excited to see the next episode every single time. And I was just very, um, 
drawn into the uh, sort of every aspect of this. And uh, I, I just, I think that we've, like we've said uh, today, we've wrapped up a lot of great uh, moments here and we've uh, been able to give, um, I don't know, explore a lot of like really interesting questions uh, that, uh, uh, I mean, Star Trek has kind of touched on some of these before, but uh, I don't think has done them as effectively as they were done in this season. Am I supposed to give my my number yet? Or? No, no, I'm, no, I'm no, seeing yeah. if Emily has something to say, but I think I'll go first um, and share mine instead because um, Emily has a visitor uh, who she's having a quick chat with. Uh, there's Dietrich, I think, off Traveling screen perhaps. right there. And uh, anyway, yeah, I, I think, Adam, much like yourself, I thought this was a vast improvement. The first seven episodes of the season, I just could not wait to see what came next. Episode eight and nine, I think, were a little, they ran a little long for me and kind of mm -hmm. threw it into, into uh, made me doubt whether the writers were capable of writing a final episode that really lived up to the hype. Yeah. I think in a vacuum where Picard season two exists on its own without TNG existing, without the rest of Star Trek existing, it's kind of, not entirely satisfying and mm. i think there are too many loose ends plot loose ends and perhaps even plot inconsistencies and plot holes to think through however when we think of the totality of star trek and we and 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 the fandom of star trek and how many how much people have talked about some of the characters that we saw in the season like q guinan picard and their interpersonal relationships with one another i think this is a master class of bringing the fans something meaningful that does something wonderful with characters that they've had mm -hmm. that they've talked about for decades so i'm happy to set aside those little plot holes and inconsistencies and maybe some of the concerns i have given this season's place in star trek as a whole so that that's my feeling is that it was it was an emotionally satisfying um season and and uh, me as a star trek fan i needed this like mm -hmm. I felt so just emotionally full after after this episode ended. So I would say season wide, I I mean I still you know so I gave all of the episodes pretty high ratings um, throughout the season because each episode left me wanting to see what was coming next, but I I really do think it could have been eight episodes instead of ten episodes, um, and I. Well, this is kind of spoiling a little bit my feelings for the next episode we're going to talk about, but I didn't need to be in 2024 Los Angeles for the entire season. You know, like, yeah. like I, I just really didn't, I didn't need that to be the whole, well, I guess it wasn't the entire season. I guess it was only eight of the episodes, but, um, so, uh, for me it was, um, but I, I think ultimately like what they did, what they accomplished with the season, I think was good. Um, the last three episodes redeemed the previous few episodes or the episodes that preceded it. I thought the yeah, first yeah. half of the season was stronger than the second half. Um, but um, they kind of, those later episodes kind of helped um, make me like the whole season as a whole better. Um, so, and I just, I really, um, I really liked the second half of this episode a lot. Um, so anyway. All right. Okay. I, I think I, I'm generally aligned to what both of you have said. And so which of you would like to stick your neck out and give this episode of Picard and the entire of season two a strange new rating? Uh, 
I'm seeing some hesitation, so I'll go first. <laughs> um, this episode is going to be a 9 on 10. I really want to give it a 10 on 10, but there's just like that Borg Queen costume and stuff, which is just like... <laughs> so bad. You just... You need to stick the landing on like simple stuff like that to get a 10 on 10. Okay. Um, so, so no 10 on 10, but 9 on 10. I think the season as a whole gets an 8 from me. And I think I... Without episodes eight and nine, it would probably be a ten on ten. But I just couldn't get there given that they they had a couple of bad episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I I I feel a little weird. I I honestly I didn't really like this episode. Uh, I uh, the ending was great. I thought that it that it like maybe thematically it like it fit in and it wrapped up a lot of things that were that were awesome in the season, but it 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 also highlighted a lot of problems with the season for me like i i don't like i mean i i like uh i I liked getting to see wesley crusher again or whatnot but it felt like a like oopsie we forgot about Corey uh and like her i it left left me feeling like what why was her why was she even in this season uh and it's and i mean maybe we'll have another star trek series that like comes up out of this or something but it, it just um i don't know it 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 felt a little sloppy to me and uh so i i think i'm gonna I, I think i might give this a six and then i'm gonna go for uh i think i'll i'll go for an eight for the season two okay um well i'm gonna agree with you all on the season i'm gonna give the season a four out of five that that kind of jibes with the scores i gave for the episodes that i was on mm-hmm. um and I, I am given. I would have given this last episode a four out of five, but it's a four point five out of five because of the Q part of the episode. It was so yeah. good. Yeah, take it just, that, Adam. It bumped it. It bumped it up for I, me. I, so I mean, yeah, I, 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 I'm on. I'm on team. Ignore the first half of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thank you, Adam and Emily, for being on this episode with me and for sticking around for another hour after this to do the next episode with me as well. So we'll be right back in a second uh, on, on our recording. So, uh, but, but thanks for, thanks for talking about this Pic- end of season two of Picard. I've yeah. had a lot of feelings and wanted to discuss them. So this was perfect. Yes. Thanks Notch. Of course. And uh, thank you, Max, Dina, Bill and Rudy. And thank you, Jishnu Guha for recording our theme music. Thank you, dear listener, for making time for us in your busy week. And then special thanks this week to John Delancey and Whoopi Goldberg. It was nice to see you both um, play your characters. And it was just, it, it it left my emotional cup full. I'll just say that all over again, because I, I just really enjoyed the two of them on screen. All right, everybody, we'll see you, uh, well, whenever you play the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.